On fossil downs and cane grass station in a million homes across the nation, they're tuning in Australia on a Sunday morning. Oh, g'day, Macca. It's Erin Newton from between Walbert and Lightning Ridge on a place between the Castleway Highway and Kambora. Erin, nice to talk to you. We've just finished harvest and two weeks ago our house burnt down, um, oh, which no. was in the, middle, in the middle of harvest. But look, nobody was inside at the time. It happened in the middle of the day. But um, we've lost everything. Macca, I've been out there for 20 years with my husband now. We've been through drought and flood and drought and flood. And last year, I was ready to pack her all in, and I said to my husband, "I, I want to go." And he said, "He said I, I don't know how to do anything anywhere else." And he's such a beautiful, kind man. And I said, "Right, out, well, we'll stick it out." Anyway, one of the best harvests we had, and now I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Where are you living now, Erin? Are you? Oh my gosh, we are so lucky. We had friends come out of the woodwork from everywhere, mate, and we're <laughs> we're no ones out there. Like we're ferals, you know. So. <laughs> And they came from everywhere. They came... Oh, my God. Before I even was able to pick my kids up from school, a friend, Kate Chawik, up there at Angledool, and she was home unloading two eskies of frozen meal. Can I please put a big shout to all those people that were so kind to us? The proctors in Dungog. All right. Love you, Macca. Love you too, Erin. Good luck. It picks me up when I feel down. Wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. There's Aussies out there doing things, raising money, pulling strings, helping make a place we're really proud of. Doesn't matter who you are, on Sunday morning, you're the star. You're all in Macca's green room on a Sunday morning. Bit crowded. I start my week with Macca on Sunday morning. I met this bloke during the week and he says, Macca, have you really got a green room? And if, do you really have your own barista? I said, of course. Of course, nothing nothing is spared here at um, on Sunday morning. But he's just, uh, she's not, just, just not with us this morning. How are you this morning? Lovely to be with you. Uh, all sorts of things this morning. Um, wasn't that, that was Erin last week. Um, the house burnt down, but she's, um, she's keeping her... Keeping the spirits up, which is good. 1300 that's our number. Um, we're talking earlier um, and last week to the bloke who had his two knees done, and this came in from Vicky. Vicky said, um, your knee replacement caller should have been in Vietnam, should have had his op in Vietnam. Kel, I received a new hip in Hanoi as a result of an accident and woke up with my with the head of my femur hanging from my drip stand in a plastic bag. <laughs> Sorry I couldn't bring it home. <laughs> I won't say the rest because it's... Isn't that amazing? I woke up with the head of my femur hanging from my drip stand in a plastic bag. <sighs> Regards, Vic, Vicky. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you. Look, uh, we'll talk to you all sorts of things this morning. I had a. And did you know this? Listen to this. You know about they're talking about um, the um, vaccine, and uh, this is about modern technology and what it will take to administer that vac- vaccine. From my friend Raymond McLaren. If you've just got up, listen to this. Billions of doses around the world. The storage and transport of vaccines is going to be a major channel challenge. To give a graphic illustration, 
International Air Transport Association has estimated that providing a single dose to everyone on the planet would require enough vaccine to fill 8,000 Boeing 747 cargo planes. Whew. Wow. 8,000, 8,000 747 cargo planes. And you know how much they, they hold, those big jumbos. Wow. So it'll be a major logistics, but because of modern technology, we will probably, well, we will. It'll be new, but everything's new at the moment, isn't it? The way the virus, well, the virus isn't new, if you know what I mean. There's been viruses before, but modern technology has meant that we've been able to imagine living in the Middle Ages and the great plagues that went around, no contact tracing or anything like that in those days. You just copped it sweet. So modern technology has got a lot of things to to be thankful for. Um, oh, on the line's my friend Darren, Darren Hosking. Good morning, Darren. G'day, Ian. How you going, mate? I'm good, mate. And you? You're where? You're at Bun- Bundy? Mate, I'm in Bundaberg today, Ian. I've come down to Mum and Dad's place here with another load of antique tractors and trucks. I had uh, two mini Moline tractors on the back of the truck yesterday and an old uh, Mercedes truck, and I'm going down to a little place down near Mergen today to pick up another semi-trail load of old tractors to bring up and put in the shed here. Have you got a little... You've got a little... What's the name there? A little... What? A museum of sorts? Yes, yes, mate. We certainly have. We've got two sheds here. They're 27 metres by 84 metres long, and, uh, yeah, they're getting pretty well full, and, I don't know, all up in tractors, I suppose it'd be 240, 250-odd tractors in total with their cars, trucks, and station engines, and steam engines. And and where's your place? Mate, uh, Mum and Dad are here in Bundaberg, just out near the hummock. Yeah, yeah, but but where's your tractors? Where are they? That's where you live. Uh, no, I live in Mara, but I have some tractors there. There's a big wing of them here in Bundaberg, and then I also have them at a place there near Merg and a Cloyner. So they're spread all over the countryside, but they hopefully will all be here in Bundaberg in the next couple of years and um, covering all the ground here. But at the moment, there'd be over 100-odd tractors sitting here in the shed, and there's probably 120-odd cars and 150-odd stationary engines here in the shed. Yeah. Well, I just played the grab of Erin there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, she lost a house, and Darren rang me um, during the week to tell me a story. Tell me the story. You were you were on the tractor or something listening last week, and you heard Erin. And tell me tell me what happened. Mate, um, I was busy working on the tractor at home at Marin where we're farming, and it had a breakdown. So I was sitting on the repairing the hydraulic hose on this four hundred thousand dollar John Deere machine. And anyway, the lady from Walgett came on and explained the situation about a house burning down and I, I sat down on the step to listen to it and uh, sort of just thought about the situation we were in back in January when we had a mini tornado come through our property and tore our house and everything to pieces and um, all I just burst into tears thinking, well, I hope she has a lot better luck with insurance companies than what we did because, mate, I can go through droughts and floods and all that, that's... I thought that's pretty tough, but deal with insurance companies will beat that hand for you. Know. Anyone had to drive past and see this, see this old Darrow sitting on the tractor there, on the step there in tears, would have thought, better get that bloke put down, he's not real good. So <laughs> I just wish her a lot of luck. And all. The only way to beat these buggers is make sure you write every conversation down with you with, that you have with them, date it and everything, because somewhere down the track they will tell a lie and you'll beat them. 
because, ladies and gentlemen, Darren got hit. I, I mentioned the, the weather thing that um, I think it was 92, that this huge, huge cyclone, tornado hit Bundaberg, actually, back in 92, I think. It was just in our weather thing. But you had something similar hit your joint, didn't you? And, and your, yeah, your house was totaled. Yeah, we had a mini tornado come through there. Like, it was only two k's wide, the wind strip. And we were right in the dead centre and just tore the house apart while we were in it. And the only thing left on the place standing were the shed and the silos, like centre pivots that I had down the back of the irrigation, tore them to pieces. So mobile field bin silos, just carted them five, six hundred metres up the paddock and ripped them to pieces. And the, the damage bill come to $1.4 million. And then for the first three months, the insurance company didn't do anything. And then after that, we had to fight all the way. It took 11 months to get it sorted, and we still didn't get all of what we should have been got. But anyway, you just eventually you got to give up and say, well, I've got to try to keep working the place as well as so, uh, get something out of it, yeah. So what are you living in at the moment? Mate, we were living in the shed for a while there, and then we've moved out of that. I've managed to buy some more dongas, because we had a donga there and got some more pieces, so I put a couple more up and... Been work and we've got them set up and we're living in there and uh, yeah it's working good but I tell you what mate as that woman from Walgett said neighbours and friends are just unbelievable like our neighbours up there mate so you wouldn't find better ones in the world unreal really good and and then other friends that we had all over Australia that wanted to come and help mate they're terrific terrific uh, well in lots of ways it's the only thing that'll get you by Darren isn't it oh mate it is like Government, small and they're not they're, they're not interested in helping you. And the insurance company, they can do unless you're on their back, which really you shouldn't have to be. You pay into them every year without fail, and then you get treated like this. And I tell you what, it certainly puts you to the test. And I, I take my hat off to my wife, Jo. She was one that taught them from start to finish. She wrote everything down. That was the only way we could ever win against them because they. Unless you write every discussion you have down with them, the times and everything, they'll beat your hands down. So you've got to be strong and say, bugger these buggers, I'm going to beat them. Yeah, well, um, so you had an insurance policy, but they didn't pay as much as it was supposed to be. Is that right? And why was that? Because it's an act of God or what? what's the story? Oh, mate, look, they'll try and get out of it any way they can. And, and I and suppose the, because you were, were there any other people um, affected no, by it? But, no, we're, we're the most luckiest people on earth. We're the only one to cop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the the strange thing about that that people don't, some people don't realise that you can have these little mini cyclone tornadoes go through a strip of land, you know, not even 500 metres wide or something and just tear a sway, just goes through the countryside and just takes a strip and, and that's it and it's gone. But Yeah, well, mate, you can see the strip where it came through. Like, it's still remnant today with the trees that are ripped down. Like, there's massive big brigalows there. Now, they've been there for many, many years and just snapped them off at the ground. But you can see the strip and path that came through. Like, it's probably travelled, oh, 12, 20 k's where it came through, but we were just right in the dead centre of it. And where it came through and went out the other side, there was no houses or anything. So, yeah. And there's, there was iron off the, our house. Well, it went bloody nearly two or three k's and wrapped around the post of the neighbour's shed three <laughs> k's away. So, yeah. Well, it's, uh, I think sometimes it's nice to have a good cry, Daz. Um... 
all I'll say, mate, if someone had to come along, they would have said, look, that fellow's lost at that old Dero. We're going to have to get him put there. And I suppose I would have had to accept it, I suppose. I wouldn't have had much choice. <laughs> did, did, you give, did, you give, uh, did you get your John Deere fixed? Yeah, mate, I got it fixed. And I, I tell you what, I've, I'm over this modern technology rubbish. Christ, electronic thing. It's only got that one little hiccup, and there's a wire there about half a mil long, and it stops a 400 horsepower trap. You know, this is bloody rubbish. But that's because that's because you re- restore old tractors, and you've probably got old Fergies and whatever, and and uh, and they work fine because you just oh, turn mate, the key mate. and they start. Yeah, yeah, no, well, no, most of them all crank handles, mate. The earliest tractor, I think, is about 1923, and they go from there right through to the 70s. So there's a, there's a very wide range, and they're all different starting procedures. Some you some you got to light a fire and then try and burn them to get them going, and others you got to crank like buggery. But anyway, it's all fun. I love it, but <laughs> this new stuff breaks your heart. Does <laughs> uh, he? Uh, good luck, mate, and nice to talk to you. And uh, I hope to see you. Have a good Christmas with everybody, and. Uh, yeah, to your friends and neighbours, uh, good on you. Thanks, Daz. Thank you very much, Jim. Mark's at Port Waratah. That's in Newcastle. Good morning, Mark. Yeah, good morning, Mago. How are you going this morning? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, it's a lovely, balmy 34 degrees here already, and, uh, yeah, we're ready to... We've been here for an hour and a half uh, fixing up uh, the railway line after... A derailment during the week, so it's, it's uh, certainly uh, good fun swinging a hammer this time of the morning. Oh, well, with this temperature, and you work all day, I suppose, in the sun. Did you work yesterday, did you? No, no, we uh, we knocked it on the head yesterday, but uh, we worked all week, and uh, yeah, this uh, yeah, we've got to do this today to get it all up and running again. What happened? What's the, tell us about the derailment. What happened? Uh, I just a train decided to hop off and uh, knock a few sleepers around and wreck a bit of track up. Yeah, so keeping us busy. Yeah, I'll say, especially in this weather, mate. Yeah, it's uh, you know you can't you can't work for very long when it's forty degrees, can you? Really? No, no, lots of water and uh, a lot of fatigue management. So mm. it's uh, especially with all the garb we've got to wear now, like longs and longs and helmets and glasses and gloves and yeah, so you overheat real quick. Yeah, I'll say. So you'll get it done today, you reckon, Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be out of here by eleven o'clock. That's yeah. good. And how long? You, how long you been a fetlo, uh, Mark? Thirty-five years. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a, only a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 sound like you enjoy it, mate. Sounds like a good job. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You try to get out of the rail, but it always keeps dragging you back. There's something about it. It's really? like I never had a train. Yeah, I never had a train set as a kid, so I think I, I got a full-scaled one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, that's pretty good, I reckon, Marky. Yeah, yeah so, no So you reckon it's, 30, yeah. it's 34 there already on Port Waratah. Whereabouts uh, about, uh, Port Waratah is it? Uh, it's right in the coal terminal. Yeah, it's um, yeah, right with all the where they dump all the coal. So yeah, it's uh, just around in the loop here, and yeah, it's a bit of fun. It's got to be yeah. got to be fixed, I suppose. A lot lot of coal trains come down. Oh yeah, yeah. We've uh, yeah, probably an average, probably about fifteen twenty a day go through here. Easy plus. Gee, and they're big uh, trains, aren't they? Long trains, heavy weights. Ninety ninety two wagons between ninety two and ninety six wagons. Each, so you're looking at yeah, well over 
million ton worth of coal. Good on so, you, Mark. Great to talk to you, mate. Yeah, lovely, mate. Enjoy your day. Thank Back you. It. See you, mate. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Barbara's on the darling. Good morning, Barbara. Uh, good morning, Macca. No, it was extremely hot here yesterday. In fact, it got to 47 under the verandas here yesterday. Wow. And the, the strangest thing was when, with the animals and uh, going out and letting, letting all the chooks out, the eggs were so hot. And I'm not kidding you. It's where they were hard-boiled. It was so oh, hot. Dear, dear. And I was hosing down the chooks and the, the animals, and it was, it was extreme. 47 degrees, it's, uh, yeah, well, once it gets to 40, it doesn't really matter, does it, Robert? I think it's hot, it's hot. Yes, that's right. But it's lovely this morning, though. It's back to 24 this morning, so it's a, it's a big relief. But uh, we're lucky this in the part of the Darling we are, we're, um, we've got plenty of water, so... We were very lucky yesterday in some ways. And the seasons come and go, don't they, Barbara? We, this time last year we were talking about the, the Darling having no water in it and now... Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes. No, it, was, um, how it long, was a hot one. How long have you lived out there, Barbara? Um, just over 20 years now. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And you'd be getting your weather from South Australia because it's reasonably, been reasonably we cool do, in, yes. in Adelaide, yes, hasn't it? just in a pocket. You know, we often get... <clears throat> Sorry, even though we're lower than Broken Hill, we often get you know much warmer weather than Broken Hill here. It's it's quite extraordinary. <clears throat> and how's the season look out? Uh, you're on a station oh, out quite, there. It's very good at the moment because we did have that that bit of rain a few months ago, which uh, which helped everything. And the best thing was we were inundated here with kangaroos and God knows what on the lawns and everything. But uh, <laughs> they've gone back now because there's a bit of feed in the paddocks, which is relieve things, but uh, it looked like Jurassic Park here at one stage. <laughs> Last year we had kangaroos, we had echidnas everywhere and, and goannas everywhere, but but um, they've all gone back now. They're still, the kidmans are still around, but um, it's been an extraordinary season. I'll say. Well, yeah. Barbara, I wish I was uh, at your place this morning at 24. It's uh, where I Well, I'm inside now and I'm, I'm, we've got air conditioning here, but as soon as you go out, it's uh, stinker and it's blowing a gale here. So. Oh, is it? Yeah. No, we had rain. We had um, wind during the night, but it's nice and calm now. Oh, well. Yeah, so we're, we're pretty lucky now. It'll come. It'll come. Good on you, Barbara. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Macca. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye. G'day, this is Macca. Morning, Macca. This is Prue. G'day, Prue. Um, we're in Adelaide, um, and today we're going down to a little gallery in... Uh, Port Elliot for John to sign books, his memoirs that we've just published. Oh, this is Prue Geddes, Prue Geddes and John Wamsley. It is, it <laughs> is. We're both listening, we're both on speakerphone, so I hope that's all right. Yeah, that's fine, that's fine. That's funny because your book arrived in my uh, office, I don't know, a week ago or something, and I never, look, I'd never get tired to read the book, but I just picked it up the other day because I, I know, well, I, you know, I know John because I've talked to him three or four times over the last 20 or 30 years, and I know you, Prue, because the last time I saw you, you had an arm full of wombats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, just, I started reading John's book, and I couldn't put it down. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe because I'm, I'm fascinated or obsessed with maths because I was completely hopeless at maths, and John sounds like he's, <laughs> he's the world's best mathematician. So, But I just couldn't put it down. I just thought it was wonderful. I, I haven't read it all, but I read about 50, 60 pages. So, um, and that's your little book, right? It is. It is. Yes, that's correct. 
John, uh, tell me, <laughs> when did you realise you were so good at maths? I don't know because I, it, it sort of didn't come to me that way. I didn't know how good I was, but I know I, I loved doing it. And uh, my old man always thought that maths wasn't something that you did for, for mathematics sake. Maths was just something you used to do other things with. So it, I never realised you could actually get a job doing mathematics. And <laughs> for a while there, I was working in a in a hospital as a male nurse, and I picked up this thing at thing from the public service saying they wanted mathematicians. So I thought, bloody hell, you can be a mathematician. So at 25, I went to uni and I became a mathematician. So that's how it all happened. And it went pretty well. It, it, uh, you know, I've had a good job and uh, everything went well. And then I decided I should get, do other things like save our wildlife because we we're losing that. And I thought, well, that's the worst thing that's happening. And so I changed my direction a bit and started saving species, which worked pretty well too. There's a few animals around now that wouldn't be if I hadn't have done it. So things like bilbies and numbats and booties and things. And and then in my old age, I thought, well, I should write all this down and write a book. So I wrote a book and that's it. And it's getting rave reviews and it's it's going very well, yeah. It's it's fantastic, John. Uh, uh, maybe look, I because I I love animals and platypus and wombats and and uh, all also I love our little native animals and and that you know everybody lots of people have been fascinated with you and Prue's work with with your sanctuaries and also you know feral cats and all those sort of things. But when I started. I suppose because I was obsessed with maths and and I struggled to get fifty one, which I usually did, uh, but, <laughs> but that's as far as I got. So and 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 the people who can't do maths are sort of obsessed with it. I remember a lady rang me one morning. She said, "Mac, because it came up, um, we we were talking about it. Some and a, and a lady rang from WA from Perth, and she said, I used to be a maths teacher, and it's not really hard, Ian, and don't be so stupid." <laughs> And, and then another a lady rang and she said, Maka, she said, I did uh, uh, maths at school. I did calculus. She said, and since when I left school, she said, I've never used calculus again. And that was 30 years ago. <laughs> so, but um, it's it's funny, isn't it? You can either do maths and, or you can't, and you can either run fast or you can't. It's all those sort of things. But I think to be born, to be able to just appreciate numbers. Tell us the story. Tell us the story about the competition where you had seven or eight problems to solve. Oh, well, that was when I... Uh... So it was quite interesting because when I was 25 when I went to uni and and uh, when I went in to enrol, I said, uh, I want to enrol in, uh, I want to do mathematics and I've got three kids and I've got to get through this a bit quicker than normal. So I want to enrol in in second year honours course in mathematics because because I was 25, I could get adult standing. So you could sort of start at whatever stage you wanted to and then move on from there. So. I, I in, went to my first lecture and, and uh, I didn't understand what he was talking about. It was an algebra lecture and it could have been a French lecture for all I knew. So after the lecture, I went to him and I, I said, uh, you know, I didn't understand this. And he said, no, you silly bugger, you should start in first year, not in second year honours because there's a lot of things you don't know. And I said, no, you tell me what books I need to know and I'll be right. So I got all these books and I just did the the last the problems because I don't like reading, but I like doing problems, and so I did all the problems. And the first term exams come around, and I topped all the exams. So from then on, everything was all right. But when I was in third year, I entered this the university 
problem competition, maths problem competition. And I think there were six questions. And and uh, anyway, I was in third year at the time, and all, I didn't expect to do that well because people in fourth year, honours year, were, were in it too. And but anyway, I I could do five of the six questions, and the sixth question I couldn't do was, was about how to cover a surface with basically 20-cent pieces. And I couldn't work out how to do that properly, but I thought, well, bees did this many years ago. They know you just do a hexagon, the best way to do it. So I just, my answer for that one was the bees solved this problem many years ago and they ticked it as right. So I got six out of six, but the first person that came second only got two problems out. So after that, I was right. Everyone thought I was pretty good and I didn't have to work hard again, ever, ever again. It's amazing. I'm just I, sorry, Prue. Were you going to say something? Oh, it's all right. I said that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> He's worked really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm just sitting here scratching my head, and it's like I suppose it's like with with anything. Someone who can run fast is on a different plane. Look at Usain Bolt, and uh, people can just marvel at it. And the same with mathematics. I mean, if you just understand, you're on a different plane. And then I sometimes think about engineers and the sort of things they do. And they look at something and they think, oh, and they know how to fix it. You know, or they come up with, and they're just all, we're all working on a different plane, if you like, John. But uh, maths is a, a bridge too far for most of us. <laughs> <laughs> Macca, when I first met John, um, we were meeting some people and they said, well, what, is, what does John do? And he said, I'm a mathematician. And they looked aghast at me and said, but Prue doesn't do mathematics. She hasn't got a clue. And John very gallantly said, that's why she needs me. <laughs> the book's called A Vanishing Kind. It's a memoir of John Walmsley, who's done a lot of work, and, and Prue, um, uh, with uh, saving animals like bilbies. And uh, how's the marla going, John? Do you know? They're doing very well at Scotia Sanctuary. Yeah, they're thriving. They're all. It's quite incredible what's happened. And then, nearly all the world's population of bridal nailtail wallabies is at is at Scotia Sanctuary. So there's a few species that male is one of them that would be gone now if it wasn't for Scotia Sanctuary. Yeah, because I remember uh, Kieran Kelly who walked across um, the Tanami uh, from west to east or east to west. I'm not sure. Um, not on the end of my track, but he walked across it and um, he said one of the things he was going to do was look for the marla. Well, he didn't see any marla in, in, in the whole trip. I mean, he was out there for three weeks, but you'd think you'd see a marla, but he didn't see one. So, um, yeah, they they really survive in, in within sanctuaries and things like that and on islands, don't they? Well, like, they're, they're tiny kangaroos. They're the smallest of the kangaroos and they they just got no hope against with feral cats. They're just a, a, a one meal for a feral cat, that's all. Yeah, good luck with your book. You'll be, where will you be today, Prue? Um, down at Taruki Studios at Port Elliot, I'll be signing the book today. It's called. And a if anybody wants the book, they can get it on my website at johnwomsley.com. dot com. Uh, if they go there, they can buy a copy and gets posted out to them. Or, or they can, yeah, or they can go to their local bookshop. But I found the local bookshops aren't too good. They. Uh, you know, they play a few games with prices and that. So the best price that people can get in Australia is off my website, com. So where are you signing? What suburb? 
Okay, this is Port Elliot, which is Victor Harbour or Downey Goolwa. Right. Well, you'll probably attract quite a few mathematicians and non-mathematicians this morning, <laughs> as, 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 but, as well as. There's a little. There's a little. <laughs> sorry, Macca. There's a little gallery called Turiki Studio. It's on the corner of Charter Street and Arthur Street. And um, it's uh, they've very kindly got our book, and uh, we'll welcome everybody. And John will be there from eleven till two to sign copies personally. Good on you, Prue. Good on you, John. We'll uh, I'll get together sometime, and I'll finish your book, and I'll give you a report. Thank you very much, Macca. <laughs> Have a good day. Yeah, Thanks, good. See, See you. Bye. bye. But look, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the program this morning our Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Good morning, Prime Minister. Good. G'day, Macca. How are you? It's been a little while. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Um, are you, tell me this. Are you still in lockdown? Yeah, I'm in isolation down here in Canberra. Um, coming into the final stretch now, just a few more days, we, I get to go home and see the family on Thursday night, so I'm looking forward to that. Are you, uh, are you on your bike? <laughs> yeah, not, not <laughs> saw... yet, but I have been most days. Uh, it was quite a few busy days this week. I missed a couple of days, but you know, you've got to keep yourself active and it's very important when you're doing those things. That's an understatement. You say you had quite a few busy days. You've had quite yeah. a busy, few busy days since I think you came to office because I remember <laughs> talking to you that day and there was yeah. a, a raging drought on and it doesn't seem to have stopped, Prime Minister. It doesn't seem to have stopped. No, it hasn't. It's been a very, very tough few years here for Australia, of course. And, and But Australia's resilience, Macca, and you'll hear this every week from your listeners, has just shown through. Um, that's That's been the secret for Australia. I mean, we've done, especially in COVID, better than almost any other country in the world. But in rural and regional parts of the country, um, dealing with these trials and stresses was was something they were very familiar with, particularly over the drought and the, the terrible floods, up, you know, that, up in North Queensland and other places, and of course the black summer bushfires, and then we rolled into COVID. So um, it's been quite a period, but uh, Australians are amazing. I said uh, at the start of the COVID pandemic that we know we're a strong people, but we're just about to find out how strong we are. Well, we're strong, and uh, that's going to be continue to be necessary going ahead because the world is no no more certain than it was before. No. Um, and in fact, there's a lot more uncertainty out there, but we'll get through it. We always do. You talk about resilience, and I look, I marvel at you and, and other people too, other politicians especially, but all sorts of people, but I marvel at, I don't know how you front up and have a shave and come out and walk out to the little lectern and start, somebody said to me, probably unkindly about Daniel Andrews, that he should get the Logie because he's on television every day. <laughs> <laughs> the television Logie, he's on, more, on TV more than anyone else, but you're just about, I mean... To actually have to gird your loins and get out there and put on a brave face. And, I mean, you're just a human like everybody else. And, um, uh, I mean, it must be – you. how do you look back on this time you've been there? I mean, it's just a, a, an amazing time in the world. I mean, you can talk about uh, Donald Trump and, and and the sort of things that people have been going through and, you know, look at Italy and Spain and the carnage that's happening there with the virus. But how are you? how are you holding up? Well, I'm fine, and I th- thank you for asking, and uh, I really appreciate that, Macca. Um, but look, it, it, this is the responsibility, and uh, throughout particularly, whether it was the drought or, or more recently uh, through COVID, I mean, people need good information. They need to know what's happening next. Um, they need to, to, to know how we're getting through these things, and whether it was when we announced JobKeeper all those many months ago, which has proved to be... Um, probably the single largest, well, it is the single largest economic intervention that government has ever had in Australia, but it was what was needed. And at a time when people were, were, were frightened, um, un, unsure, 
uncertain about what all this meant for them. Um, it was our job to make sure that we brought some certainty back into their lives, and that meant that tomorrow morning, regardless of what was happening, um, you know, through JobKeeper and JobSeeker, they could at least know that would be there and would help them to get through um, what were some incredibly difficult months, and there have been many more since. Um, and we've endeavoured to do that. And, and standing up in the Prime Minister's courtyard or Premier's doing the same thing has really just been about letting Australians know that they're not alone, that the services and support have been delivered in a way we've never seen in this country. It hasn't just been the scale, but particularly on something like JobSeeker. I mean, we had to process um, more applications to get people that income support in about six to eight weeks than we normally did in about two years. And uh, we had people who were normally working in, you know, attendance and, and, and admin jobs in, in Parliament House. We set up rooms up in Parliament House where they were on the phones um, taking people's details and, and getting job seeker applications processed. I mean, government literally flipped on itself um, to mm. be able to respond to what was massive needs. So I've had an enormous team behind me, Macro, I suppose, is the answer to the question. Mm. Uh, a massive team, all just doing the best they possibly could uh, to help Australians. And, you know, that goes back to whether it was uh, the work Shane Stone was, has been doing um, on the floods and, and the drought together uh, with his really great expert panel that's helping him with that, getting out on the ground, having field officers out there, or, you know, indeed the work uh, that was done um, by um, the uh, the Bushfire Recovery Agency, which continues to roll out that support. Great people just doing their best, and I'm very appreciative for the work they've done. Yeah, well, um, but I'm not sure that everybody... Well... Uh, realises what you've got to do and wake up every morning and do that because you're the boss, you're the man, you're at the top, and and sure. and that's you know that can be a, a big pressure. But I and I know it's the same as me around here. You've got I've got people that look after me and make sure I'm don't stray too much. <laughs> but anyway, well, you, draw, you draw inspiration from others too. I mean, yeah. um, you know, people have done this job before. Um, I have a pretty regular chat with um, with John Howard, who I, which I I really appreciate. Um, he's not the sort of person who will offer your advice, um, you know, gratuitously. He's the sort of bloke who just quietly will, um, you know, have a bit of a natter with you. And it's good to talk to people who've uh, who've been there before. But, I mean, there's a book I read earlier in the year, actually. Um, um, it was about Joe Lyons. And uh, he was a pretty amazing fellow, a Tasmanian. And, and uh, he, he was, you know, leading Australia during that period of the Great Depression. Um, and prior to that, you know, taking over... Um, um, from his predecessor there, and you know just how he dealt with that, how he engaged with Australians it was obviously different then he didn 't have the technology and all the rest of it, but he made it just a big effort to just keep encouraging people and you know Australians have been doing that with each other you 've been doing it macca as well uh, so many have just been encouraging people, getting them to look forward, uh, supporting each other mental health 's been a big challenge during all mm, of this period um, and you know the telehealth work that we've done this year. I mean, there are things that have come out of COVID that, you know, um, are, good, are good lessons and uh, good improvements in services and, and telehealth, particularly in rural and remote areas. I remember when the floods hit up in North Queensland, that was one of the things we were terribly worried about, people being isolated and cut off and not sort of, you know, prone to go and, and, and seek that sort of health support. Um, and these services now are so much better than they used to be. And so it doesn't matter where you are in the country, you can get support for, for, for mental health in this country. And um, I think, you know, it's not one, one of the things we talk about much in our COVID response. I mean, we talk to leaders around the world, you're talking about vaccines, you're talking about respirators and testing and tracing regimes and all of that. Um, but what, 
another another tool in our kit has been to really support people's uh, mental health. Mm. Uh, Prime Minister, some time ago, when I think when Brexit was on, um, one of my listeners, and I love the listeners because they, they're out of my research, otherwise I wouldn't know where I am, um, and they talked about bossy Brussels um, and the, one of the reasons why the POMs got a bit browned off with uh, the EU was bossy Brussels and, mm. and, and we're faced with the Beijing bullies, I, I think, um, in the Communist Party there. Um, well, how, are you, how do we push back against that and with the, the, the latest things with the wine? and I mean, I, sure. I thought, well, I'll, we should ask, encourage people who drink uh, to, to buy Australian wines if they can, but it's going to need more than that, isn't it? Well, it is a difficult time and, and there are tensions. Um, and the point I made yesterday was that Australia is no, um, is no stranger to that. I mean, you'll have many listeners this morning who will remember what happened in the early 70s with the European common market and markets that had been very important to Australia all of a sudden. Um, there was a massive change and that sure. really disrupted. You go to the oil price shocks, you go to the resource boom and busts and commodity boom and busts. Um, all of these things economically um, have have caused shocks into the system. And what's quite amazing about Australians, is, is and particularly those who work in our ag sector, um, is how resilient they are, obviously, to, to weather and climate. Um, but also, they've had to deal with these things in the past as well. I mean, you can't control everything in this world, but one thing you can control is who you are and your values and the things that you know are important, and it's important to remain steadfast with that. We'll do everything we can, Macca, to ensure uh, that we can try and address these um, these trade issues that have come up with China, the technicality issues that they've raised. Um, but obviously, we're very concerned about that. But um, that's one of the reasons why, over the last seven years, we've expanded uh, the amount of, uh, of our trade that's covered by agreements uh, from 26% to 70%. Um, so much of our trade now is covered by these agreements. We've we finished the Indonesian agreement. That's now come into a force. Um, we've got a digital agreement with uh, Singapore. Uh, now we're working on uh, the EU. I had a meeting just this past week um, in, in the annual summit I have with the EU leaders, um, uh, President Michel and uh, Ursula von der Leyen. And, um, you know, we're working on, on that agreement. Um, there's the UK agreement with Boris, which he and I are pushing hard on. So we've been working very hard on expanding trade opportunities. And even even like a sector like wine, which is obviously impacted by this decision, the great thing about everything we make produce here is it's really good, yeah, <laughs> really, and, really good. Yeah. And that's that's its best advocate. And we've got to keep focusing on the quality and keep expanding our trade opportunities. As a government, we'll be looking to see how we can um, uh, get get a number of our producers through this difficult time. Um, we've done that through COVID, as people would know, when you know the airlines basically shut down and the bellies of planes weren't there to put you know, things like crayfish and other things in. Uh, that's why we introduced the freight support um, uh, subsidies, which has kept those planes in the air and that's kept businesses in businesses business and it's kept them connected to markets. Um, but with all of that news, Macca, I mean, it is somewhat pleasant when Michael McCormick comes into the cabinet rooms and, and he tells us, well, you know, we know that so much of the country is still actually in drought. Um, the improvements uh, in, in, in particular in New South Wales um, is, is welcome, very welcome. And we're, we're looking at a winter crop uh, right now, which is um, you know, potentially going to be one of the largest on record. The best, um, now, the best. And that, that, that is just, I mean, when we've spoken before, that just seemed like such a dream. And, well, the, the dreams have become real. And the problem we've got now is getting those workers out there yeah. to help them um, harvest it. 
And um, I know you've been talking about that on your program. I want to thank you. There was a great response to that. And so, you know, we want to encourage people to get onto that Harvest Trail website and they you know, need a job. There's jobs out there exactly. and they need you. And we need you, Scott Morrison. Keep up the good work. Keep taking the tablets, as I always say. And stay on your bike. And <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll get back on my bike. Good on you, Becca. Nice to talk to you. Merry Christmas. You, to you too, mate. Cheers. See you, bye. Michael's in Sydney. Oh, Michael Kelly. Good morning, Michael, our, our maritime correspondent. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, Naka. How are you today? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, uh, great program this morning. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, I'm just about to go to work, so I'm just going to put some lead in my boots. It looks windy out there. Oh, yeah. So rough, the seas be rough out there. Michael, ladies and gentlemen, is a marine pilot, so he goes to Port Botany, which is the second biggest port in Australia, I think, after Melbourne, and uh, a lot of business goes on there and um, goes out in a pilot boat mostly, sometimes helicopter, I suppose, Michael, but mostly in the pilot boat. Yeah, mostly, yeah, Newcastle, they've got the luxury of a helicopter uh, to land on the, the big coal ships, but we have to uh, slog it out in the pilot boat. But the wind's from the west at the moment, so the seas are one metre. Um, we're always checking the weather. So there's forecast over 30 knots today, so it'll be fun and games this afternoon. Yeah, the yeah the, the southerly country. The westerlies always blow out the surf, don't they? When there's a westerly blowing, there's no surf at all. Yeah, we don't mind westerlies, uh, the southerlies, that southerly buster. She'll come through this afternoon and the seas could be up to six metres tonight with the, the southerly busters. So, yeah, and that, that makes it difficult getting on and off the ships. Now, is the port busier at because you're coming up to Christmas? Um, you know, and as I mentioned earlier in our news, Australia has this obsession to get everything done by Christmas, whether it's, uh, as my doctor friend said, once he said, yes, I said, how's things, Dr. Ross? Because it was coming out of here. He said, oh, just the usual. He says, everybody, you know, a lifetime of neglect and they come into the office and they want it fixed by Christmas. Um, but we all have this obsession. Oh, let's get the house fixed by Christmas. Oh, let's buy a car before Christmas. Let's do yeah. this. Let's get the, let's get everything. Is, is the port really busy at Christmas time? And It, it is. It is um, at the moment. Like we've had a lot of weather delays, a few industrial issues there. And um, but every container ship the last few weeks they're nearly a hundred percent. Shockers. As everything, everyone wants everything. Yesterday, the saying <laughs> is, and um, it is. It's and and it's all China, China, China. Same same ships. Um, but it's exciting time of the year for us because um, we're in the middle of packing now. Each year we send out fifteen hundred gifts to the seafarers. We we all get together. We raise money from the stevedores, the pilots, um, tug crews, uh, mission to seafarers, Sister Mary, that mother Josephite nun. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Legend, le- legend on the waterfront. So this year we're 1,700 bags are going out. So I'll go into work a bit early and take all these bags out. And Because um, as you all know, the seafarers are doing it tough, very tough at the moment. Some are still 14, 15 months on board, can't get home. So this Christmas will be very hard for them. Oh yeah, it's just it's amazing, isn't it, Michael? Um, they were talking about the Sydney ferries too. Um, that those old ferries you, as and you're a seafarer. Um, they're lovely things, those old ferries, aren't they? Oh, I mean, I just it's I, a 
it's a tragedy. It's uh, we know a lot of the Manly Ferry skippers. They they listen to you um, as we go past on an oil tanker or cruise ship. Everyone waves. Um, my family and I were at Manly not long ago on a Sunday. We went over to Manly and I think we were. There would have been two thousand people waiting to get on the ferry. We mm. had to wait for the second ferry. Um, they carry eleven hundred passengers. And in summer, yep. In in summer, they have four. They'll, they'll move four thousand passengers in an hour, and the ferries they want to put on the service. I think they only carry four hundred. It's um, it's not going to work. No, well, they sh- they're lovely. They're just lovely things. I mean, a trip on the Manly ferry. Uh, I mean, it's just. Oh, look, I don't know. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, just it's like the Holden car, you know. I mean, I know there were problems, and yes, it was subsidised. But there's something about it that says Australia, and it's the same as bloody Manly Ferries and the same as lots of things around Australia. You shouldn't mess with some things because they're part of the psyche in some way. I can't yeah. explain it any any differently, Michael. Yeah, it's, you, public transport's never made money. Now Now they privatise it and expect a return on their dollar. And We've been to Hong Kong, the Hong Kong Ferries, the Staten Island Ferry. That's That's a symbol of New York and Hong Kong and... And you're right, Macca, without the Manly Ferries, the harbour won't be the same. No, and they're lovely. They're beautiful things. They're almost Art Deco, aren't they? They're sort of, you know, they're ships from another era. And as you say, they move heaps of people and you take the kids on the Manly Ferry and just fantastic thing to do. Yeah, they they were built in, I think, 1981, freshwater class. The design's fantastic and they'll last for another 30 years. The steel they use was good. BHP steel from Newcastle, good Australian steel, mm. and they've got a lot of life left in them. And um, we don't know what to do. It's it's once if they get rid of them and you go to Manly, you'll be waiting hours to get to get on the ferry. And when the weather's bad, those other ferries won't they won't be able to cross the heads. And it's in, more, the, but to me, it's more than what they carry or whatever. It's the fact that uh, it's just that look about them. They're just. Oh look! Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was sad to see the Lady Northcott those ferries, the double enders that used to run the Taronga Zoo. Mm. They're, they're they're sadly missed, and um, it's just this era. It's um, it's just dollar dollar dollar. Mm. Um, it's it's, uh, with, it's still a battle to to fight, and I hope Sydney get behind and and we 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 keep at least a couple. We need at least two of them all. Or four, even better. Exactly, Michael. Good luck, and and thanks for the uh, the work you do, and everybody does along the waterfront for the seafarers. And uh, yeah, and uh, take your seasick pills this afternoon. Yeah. We will, and yeah, without um, just one last thing. Most seafarers they've they've gone past their contracts, so they have the right to to say, "I don't want to sail." You know, we 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 don't want to sail, but they if they do, they will lose their jobs and. There's not enough planes to get them home. There's so much red tape with visas, so they're, they're trapped on board. So I'm sure the Prime Minister's on his bike listening. So <laughs> Prime <laughs> Minister, if you can, yeah, just think without the seafarers, you wouldn't be getting Christmas presents, you wouldn't be getting your iPhones. and um, Without a shipping, the world would just come to a grinding halt. So we, we all owe them a lot. Good on you, Mike. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Maker. See Bye. Bye.
You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.